You are listening to Agent Court Church's audio podcast. For more information on Agent Court Church, including service times, how to connect, and campus locations, please visit our website at onechurch.to. Well, how many in this room are ready to get a whole lot wiser? <laughs> you want to be wiser when you leave than when you arrived. And uh, listen, whether you're um, at the Clearly campus or whether you're here at Agent Court today, um, you've been tracking with me and learning a lot from Job, a lot of wisdom. The first thing, whether you're at Clearly or you're at Agent Court this morning, we have seen that Job in his trial, he didn't even know the purpose of it. And, you know, James says trials can have a purpose. God can be growing you and developing character in you. Joseph in the Old Testament shows us that God can take us through stuff that later on we'll come to understand. That's why I went through that. Remember, he says, what you intended for evil, God's turned out for good. But Job has a trial where he doesn't even know what the reason is, doesn't know what the purpose of it is. So we've seen wisdom as to how to get through those kinds of trials. And then we have seen in the, in the second teaching from Job uh, about friends, how not to be a Job's comforter, you know, how not to make somebody's situation, their trial, even worse by overstating and sharing our opinions, and, 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 but instead listening to them until we understand, praying until we discern, and then saying something, because then we'll have something that is helpful to say. Now, this weekend, silence. Silence. How do you do silence in a way that is wise? Now, I should mention that Pastor Jan Moken was scheduled to speak this weekend on silence, uh, but Jan's uh, mom went to be with the Lord uh, this uh, past week. And uh, there was the funeral, and I was in touch with Pastor Jen as uh, recently as last night, and she's weary. She's so thankful that I'm stepping in for her, and she mentioned that. And so that's what I'm doing today. I'm, I'm filling in for Pastor Jen with a message on silence. Let's be praying for her. And her mom went to be with the Lord, but just for all of the adjustments and the demands that are there at this time in that kind of situation. So without the usual time to prepare, one option I thought of is this. What about we just take the next 35 minutes and be silent? (laughs) I have some teaching on silence. Why don't we practice it? Uh, How many would like that? Yeah, really? You don't want to hear me? No. (laughs) Complete silence. You know, you say, well, Pastor Keith, Whether silence is good or not depends on the context. What kind of experience am I having that then I have silence? Because, you know, silence can be wonderful, silence can be not so nice, depending on the experience. So, let's look at seven different experiences of silence. First of all, silence can be... I'm making it that way right now. Awkward. Right? You know, especially if you're like my wife and I, we live on the 36th floor of a condo building, which means we spend a certain amount of each day on an elevator with lots of people getting on and off. And if it's just one or two, you usually can make conversation. But when it gets pretty full and you're standing there like this, and more people getting on, how many know it gets? Yeah, it gets awkward. 
And it's a few people, you know, I'm used to pastoring, so I'm used to conversations and starting them, and often I'll do that. But when there's, you say there's five or so people on from different floors, they're all strangers to each other. If you say something like this, well, thank God the elevators are working today, right? Everyone just, you know, you just, it's, but it's not awkward for everyone. I've learned this. I, 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 I had to phone Esther and tell her about this. I said, I got on the elevator this morning. It stopped at a floor and a young lady got on. I said, good morning. She didn't even answer me, didn't even answer me. The whole back of the uh, elevator wall is a floor to ceiling mirror. She ignored me. She was in a hurry. She's putting her lipstick on, her makeup. I felt I'd walked into the women's washroom. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, just this was? Yeah, silence can be awkward. Secondly, silence can be... Listen, watch this. Can you help me finish this sentence? Um, words or speech is silver. Silence is golden. Golden. And it can be. Um, Job was wishing for more golden silence. His three friends start talking. They're not helping, and they won't hush up. They, they, there's nine nonstop speeches. Job, Job eventually says this. Listen to what he says. He says, if only you would be silent. <laughs> for you, that would be wisdom, he says. If you guys want to be wise guys, hush up. I need some peace. You're not helping, guys. How many know sometimes people can say more with their silent support than they can with their abundance of words? And so silence can be awkward. Silence can be golden. Uh, on the other hand, silence can be scary. I didn't know this, but I have learned that if people have lived in the city all their lives, they've in the GTA and the noise of the city, if you get them out into nature and forests and lakes and rivers, it can be scary for them because they're not used to the sound of silence. City culture is so noisy. It's not just the traffic, road construction, and when you're outside, inside we make it noisy, don't we? Television, radio, uh, t TV, uh, the, well, I guess that's the television. Anyway, cell phones that are buzzing and ringing and beeping and bonging, like just constantly, even when people are alone, have you noticed? They'll put the earbuds in and they want some more noise and, and some, maybe some wonderful music there too, I'm sure. But if, if, if that's the case, when they go outside into the country, it becomes scary. Like, they don't know what to do with minutes that don't have noise in them. And so it's scary for them to have the sound of silence. But it's also true. I researched it enough time to figure this out. Silence can be healthy. So get used to the scary. It can be healthy. Lots of studies have been done in recent years on the health benefits of silence. Get this. It can lower your blood pressure, good for your arteries and your hormones. It relieves more tension than listening to music. Silence, relieving more tension than listening to music. And then a 2013 study shows that silence promotes the growth of new brain cells. Isn't that something? Just be quiet for a moment and grow some brain cells. Like, this is amazing. So I had to do a deep dive on that. I had to figure out. Here's a quote for you. Two hours of silence creates new cells in the hippocampus region, a brain area linked to learning, remembering, and emotions. 
So maybe we should spend the next at least 30 minutes just being silent. Imagine how smart we'd be when we leave here. But would we be wiser? So let's keep going. All right. Not only uh, healthy, silence can be healthy. Watch this. Silence can be restorative. I was fascinated to see where these studies came from. Universities of Stanford, Utah, and Japan. And they all made the case, they had done studies of people, and they found that just getting them into nature, the same thing didn't happen if they went for a walk in a city, but if they went for a walk in the country, if they went for a walk in nature, they found this. They had less of something and more of something else, right? They had less anxiety, depression, and negativity. What did they have more of? Increased happiness, health, resilience, and creativity would happen. The silence, just thoughts, creativity. We weren't just downloading what someone else was singing or saying, but they were coming up with some of their own thoughts and made them happier and more creative and healthier. Now, for Job, though, we, 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 we've been in his story long enough. We know that silence was not healthy. It was not restorative. For him, it was painful, very extremely painful. I'll, I'll let him explain how he responds. Listen to him. He says, I cry out to you, God, but you do not answer to silence. Now, in the, in the first chapter of Job, he's crying out to God daily for his own life, for his family. God's blessing him. And it's a wonderful season of God's obvious blessing in his life. But then in chapter 1, when his sons and daughters die in a tragic house collapse, and then his possessions are stolen or destroyed, all he's left with is his health. And then chapter 2, he loses that. He loses his health. Get this now, because you know this from chapter 2, but then what you, when you read his description of his physical condition in subsequent chapters, it, it helps you see that what he's covered with are painful, open, running, foul-smelling sores, Job 2.7, from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. Picture that. But more painful than those boils, more painful than those sores, is that God is silent. I cry out to you, O God, but you do not answer. And Job makes repeated attempts. He gets desperate. God, I want to know what's going on here. What's the purpose of this trial? Do I doubt your goodness? Why are you blessing bad people? And I've tried to be a good person and I'm not being blessed. Why am I going through this physical suffering? And Job makes repeated attempts to connect with God for over 30 chapters. And his friends, we saw, we saw earlier in the series, his, his friends sure didn't help. He's Job's comforters. He wished they'd stay silent. But God, I'd like to hear from you. Listen to Job in chapter 23. He says, look, I go forward, but God, he is not there. I go backward, but I cannot perceive, I cannot perceive him. When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. 
And, and you'll notice this though. But, but he knows the way that I take, and when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. You'll notice this all the way through Job. God, I'm doubting your goodness, but I know you're going to come through. God, I'm, I'm desperate to have answers. I need knowledge. But, but, but God, I know you have it. And I know you'll come through. But he's saying, but, but right, God, right now, where are you? I cannot perceive you. I cannot behold you. I cannot see you. Have you ever had a time where it seemed that God was totally silent? Sometimes our emotions can get so numb that we just can't almost hear anything good from anybody. Uh, we understand that. But, but there's a, even when the emotions unthaw, it's just like God is silent. It can be a time, and I've heard from so many people already this weekend in previous services, just that when they go through a loss, someone they loved, they're just not saying, God, why am I? I just keep suffering and suffering. They just get used to living with it. What about physical pain? Have you ever physically suffered? Oh, God, when is there going to be an end to this? You know, I, I was thinking of, uh, of, of Jake at Claire Lee, our church campus there. I was thinking of someone on staff here at the Aging Court campus and just people that you just know chronic situation. How long will this season ask, oh God? And I thought, you know, the closest that I have to it is something that happened about a year ago. And I wasn't planning on, you know, speaking, but it sure fits with this whole area of silence, and it seems to have helped uh, people because of what I've learned through it. But you'll remember that a year ago, our church family was getting ready for the succession plan to move us into a point of transition. It was so exciting to see Pastor Jonathan say yes and take the uh, leadership of our church forward into wonderful days that are before us. And we were excited about it. But all, all that time, I was having uh, quite the pain in my back that I was sort of used to. You know, I have um, used to ride motorcycles, and I've been on and off of them. Uh, I've raised horses. I've been on them and off of them. Are you tracking with me? I did construction and, uh, you know, fallen off a few things. I mean, I've just, how many know I've fallen off this platform? I mean, I've done some things to, to the back over the years, so I was used to living with back pain. And if you know me, uh, as my family does, that whether it's uh, an emotional challenge or a physical challenge, I'll just push right through it. I'll just, you know, just be determined and persevere and give it all I got. So when I encountered various levels of pain, I, I, just, I just, you know, you just push through the pain. You just push it through. You don't listen to it, just push through it. And uh, I learned to live with back pain. And in the last decade, I've had the same wonderful Christian family doctor, and he's diagnosed me with stenosis up here, arthritis here, and bursitis down here. And so um, I, I, just, I just come to terms with the fact that if a back condition ends with is, I've got it. You know what I'm saying? So, and then a couple of years ago, an MRI showed why some of the pain was coming from the lower back because I have a herniated disc and, and disc compression. And I could overcome it. I could overcome it. Uh, uh, just, just push through the pain. But then one week into our sabbatical, uh, remember when we uh, headed out last um, 
June, I think it was, and we were just one week into the sabbatical, and I had, I was looking forward to the sabbatical, going to do some writing, going to do some, you know, just changing gears to come back and support Pastor Jonathan Smith as your new teaching pastor. Uh, I mean, I just had, family was coming from uh, Vancouver to Halifax to visit at the cottage, and finally we're going to have some unbroken weeks up there. It was just really looking forward to to just replenishing and refreshing and getting ready for the next ministry chapter. But one week after uh, uh, being there, um, and family was already en route to come visit, I was introduced to a level of pain that I did not think was humanly possible to experience. Uh, I guess that what the best they can figure is that in the herniated disc, something just moved around there and got right on top of a nerve and, 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 just, and just began to... Have you ever had that nerve pain that just will not let go? I couldn't sit down. I couldn't lie down. I just... The only way... It hurt to walk, but at least I was doing something. So I walked for two and a half days. 24 hours a day, just, just walked and walked and walked. I'm sure there are grooves in the road in front of my cottage, you know, just where, where I walked for those two and a half days. I turned the lights on the truck so they'd shine down the road so I could see a little bit where I was going, only to have to face those lights on my eyes on the way back. You know, I mean, I just was, I was just in, in such pain. And uh, how many of you, know, you, you can't even focus to think, let alone visit, your family when you're in that kind of pain, and they were very caring and understanding. Esther uh, told me I lost 21 pounds in a month, even though I was eating lots, eating standing up, of course. And uh, after uh, two and a half days of this walking nonstop, we went into the Perry Sound emergency in the hospital there, and. Uh, the, this doctor, you know, she was used to dealing with, you're up in Perry Sound, she's used to dealing with, you know, boat accidents and chainsaw accidents, and so she just, oh, this guy's in pain, she sent somebody in to give me some Toradol, uh, which, uh, you know, some of medical people would know, and that didn't do anything, I was still pacing in pain, so she sent someone in to give me morphine. And so that didn't do anything. And so she came in herself and gave me a large injection of morphine. And I could sit down for the first time in three days. Uh, then it went on. You know, the pain specialist in Toronto maxed the uh, cortisone treatment, uh, gabber, uh, gabapentine for nerve pain. I have a little bag of uh, all the medications. You know, I just feel like a, a real old senior citizen right now. Anyway, but, but it was... Uh, it, it was uh, it was like God, I'm way too young for this. Somebody upstairs, just say Amen. Make me feel better. I'm way too. I think this this is not supposed to happen now. Like this, how, how can how can God? I've got too much gas in the tank for the next ministry chapter. I've got so many things that I want to do. And, and I, I couldn't drive. Esther drove me around. She drove the truck, God bless her, for, for months. Couldn't operate machinery, had to cancel trips. But you know, as I walked around in pain, I remember just, you know, I'd be here in Toronto and walking around the early hours of the morning out on the streets, you know, around Fairview Mall and, and just thinking, God, is this, is this, is this how long is this gonna go on? It's just like silence. 
I mean, up north and just walking around and, and look at the cottage and think, you know, I should cut the grass, but I can't sit down long enough to do that. And the, sit down more and, and uh, walk by this workshop that I'd almost completed and think, I, I want, I got things I want to build for the kids and my grandkids, but maybe I won't be able to do that anymore. Like, do I call Pastor Jonathan and say, I need to delay the, the time off because I, I need to get, what, what? And will I ever, will it ever change from this? And this, this silence, silence. Is this a new reality that I'm going to have to live with? And Pastor Jonathan and the deacons were graciously and perseveringly praying together with me and the staff. I was reading widely about back conditions. And I had people in the medical profession kind enough to coach me through some good things. I spent part of every day upside down. You ever have an inversion table? You don't want to know what they are. Anyway, you're upside down. But you know, I, I remember sitting in the doctor's office and tears came into my eyes because he said, now you, you can't go down, you can't pick up things yet. And I'm thinking, I've got four grandsons. I can't pick up my own grandsons. And when he saw the tears in my eyes, I said, what about my grandsons? And he looked over at Esther and he looked at me and, and he, he modified it a little bit. He showed me how to, how to pick them up a little bit better, a little more safely for my back. Job. Job uh, keeps trying to connect with God over 30 long chapters of his trial. But I cannot perceive you. I cannot behold you, God. I cannot see you. However, how many know that's not how Job's journey ends? When God finally breaks the silence, he, he takes Job into this sort of this restorative nature walk. Sort of this virtual tour of the cosmos and creation and the vastness of it and saying, here's what I run, Job. Here's, here's what I do. And here's what my power, my knowledge, and my wisdom are capable of. And then he finishes up the tour with a close-up look at two complex animals on earth. And it's a tour that basically is saying, Job, uh, I know more than you. <laughs> I, I, my power is greater. Your ways are not my ways. My, mine are higher than yours. My knowledge is higher than yours. You, you cannot expect yourself to understand it. Neither can your friends. And it leaves Job. When God's done this virtual tour of cosmos creation and the complexity of the animal kingdom, when God's done that, Job replies this way to the Lord. I am nothing. How could I ever find the... I put my hand over my mouth in... I have said too much already. I have nothing more to say. Notice Job still does not have the purpose of his trial. He doesn't have any answers when God reveals himself. He just has what? He just has God. Just as God. We sang a song that said, Jesus, you're enough. God. Is God enough for Job? Well, Job doesn't have an answer. He just has the answerer. And he responds, God, just to have you show up. <laughs> now it's my turn to be silent. Here's the point. 
Job must have an answer to questions were not even answered. When God shows up, those questions are not important anymore. What was so critically important to Job for 35 chapters, suddenly when God reveals himself, it's not even on Job's mental radar anymore. Remember that song? We'll sing it later in the service. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim. Why? In the light of his glory and his grace. It's like Job had God show up and suddenly his questions, his desperation, his doubts, they just grew strangely dim in the light of the God's glory and his power. And that brings us to the seventh and final experience of silence. Silence can be awkward, golden, scary, healthy, restorative, painful, and life-changing. Silence can be life-changing. Let, let me share with you three ways we see it happen in Job, and I'll talk about three ways that it happened for me in my season of silence. All right, the first one is this. It magnifies your appreciation for just about everything. I mean, when you go through a season of silence, it just tunes you into stuff that before you just took for granted. You didn't even notice that it happened. You know, the Bible says that the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the... And he was really blessed in the first part of his life. Remember how he started out? He had everything, family and love, relationship, possessions. He had wealth and health. He had everything. But the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life. It's like, it's like he doubled it. Everything was blessing times two. And that's something that can happen in a season of silence. You suddenly become so thankful for stuff that previously you, you, you just took for granted. You know, uh, for instance, the power of prayer. Just to be with God in a walk, and just, and just to know that, God, I don't perceive you, don't see you, but I know you're there. <laughs> how many know, just like it's raining outside, how many, how many know the sun is still up there? <laughs> we can know that to be true. It's the same. When we're going through stuff in this life, we can just know that the Son of God is still there, and He is reigning on the earth. He rules. Yes, amen. Thank you for that affirmation. You know, my, my love for the Lord, I would have to say, became more refined and more realistic. It, it's like it matured. My wife, Esther, she's here in the service today. I don't know how many times I said, Esther, you know I'd be dead without you. <laughs> Not just as feeding me and caring for me, but uh, and putting my socks on. Like, I mean, this is embarrassing. You know what I mean? Just, just... Just, it just deepened your appreciation for people in your life. Driving. Never will I complain about having to drive again. I can drive. You're not excited about that? You can see. I just doubled my appreciation for just about everything. I can, I can drive again. Sleeping. Sleeping. I'll never forget the time I slept longer than three hours. I wanted to call up my daughter-in-law because she, has a new, she had a newborn boy and she didn't sleep longer than three hours. And we were sort of comparing notes and I wanted to phone her up and say, hey, I broke the record. <laughs> sleep, just sleeping became something so wonderful. 
The pain has gone from 11 out of 10 down to less than 1 out of 10 with my back in a certain position, and I've learned lots. I know, listen to me, I can now pick up my grandsons. <laughs> and listen, and listen, on all, you know those medications? I have them in a plastic bag. I keep them in one of my drawers. Every time I open that drawer, I'm sure Esther hears, oh, thank you, Jesus, because I am medication-free. I just thank the Lord for that. Isn't that great? See, it's just something about just enduring and persevering. James says, do you see how the Old Testament people are an example for us and see how Job persevered and what the Lord finally brought about? Not only does it magnify your appreciation for just about everything, but secondly, it deepens your empathy for others. It deepens your empathy for others. You know, Job, Job prays for his friends, the Bible says. You know, he just, he just doesn't, he knows how desperate it can be when you're searching for answers when God is silent. So he doesn't, he doesn't resent or hold against them. They said he just, he just seems to understand. He has a level of maturity where he understands. He has an empathy for human weakness. Um, for Keith Smith, you know, I mean, how many years as a pastor? I pastored for 40 years, and you know I started when I was 15, but uh, I've had so many people where they're in this deep pain, you know, back pain or cancer or treatment or emotional pain, and I've had some of that. But now when I say I understand and I pray for them, you know, I just have an understanding. Matter of fact, at the end of the last service, there was a dad and his child, his daughter, I met just out on that side, and he says, oh, Pastor Keith, I, says, I understand about the pain. He says, but you know what? You know what? You know when my pain was healed? He says, you gave me a hug in the lobby, and my pain disappeared. Just prayed for him, just gave him a hug. I'm going to be out there on that side of the lobby. If you have any back pain, come to see No, I'm just... <laughs> Please, don't. Don't even ask me how my back is. I told you it's good now, okay? So don't be asking me when we get out there because it's good and I thank the Lord for that. But it gives you an empathy. Now when I say, I'll pray for you, I understand. You know another thing? I have told you for years that the biggest pain that Jesus endured when he was crucified was not the physical pain. It was the separation from his father. Remember? He says, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because our sin was put upon Jesus and it blocked off the presence of God that Jesus had known from all of eternity past. He'd never known a second without the presence of his Father until our sin created that barrier and he took. And, and, and you know, that is all true. That is the greatest suffering of Jesus. But listen to me, that does not minimize how much he suffered physically. You know, that cat and nine, that, that, that lashing that ripped the back off of him and, and then he went and it pierced his skin through on a cross. It was, the, it was the device, it was the tool of maximum, uh, maximum torture that the Romans had been able to perfect when they got it from the people before them. I mean, and I remember saying to the Lord one day, Lord, now I have just a little taste of the kind of physical suffering that you went through for me. See, it gives you a deeper empathy and appreciation. What else does it do? Well, it sharpens your focus on soul matters. Stuff that mattered before just doesn't matter so much anymore. 
I, I can honestly say my soul is less cluttered. There's, there's a new dimension of dependence upon the Lord in my life that I just relied on myself for before. There's a new serious tenderness in my life. And it was, there, we make our decisions when we're in pain, don't we? But I do remember this. This may help some. I do remember this one, especially when I was walking up and down in those two and a half days of extreme torture. I just remember, Lord, I make a vow to you right now that however strong the pain gets, my praise to you will be stronger. And I'll be teaching you in January about how I learned to, how to love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, how, how to, to set my feelings and not let them set me, to set the pain, not let it set me, to, to love the Lord and for that love and trust and praise to rise up stronger than the pain and the confusion of what we're going through. We'll, we'll talk about that, but I remember, I remember saying to the Lord so many times, Lord, however strong this pain gets, my praise to you will be stronger. Sort of like, I see that in Job now. Now understand what he says, though you slay me, yet will I love you. I'm going through this, but I know that my Redeemer lives. God, I can't perceive you. I can't find you. I can't see you. But I know this, that when I come through this, I'm going to be golden. <laughs> I'm going to be as pure gold. It just sharpens your focus on soul matters. Job realized, because watch this now. Let's just look at this verse another time. He says, look, look how we, because when we get desperate, when we're in the season of silence, what's the natural human tendency? To run around and try and find solutions. Even to find God. God, where are you? Hey, if I go over there, maybe you'll help me. Maybe that person will pray. But God, where will I? Watch. Look, I go forward, but he is not there. I go backward. I cannot perceive him. When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. But, I don't know where you are, God. But you know where I am. Do you see that? You know where I am. He knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. How many understand in this room today? Yes, look for sensible spiritual and medical and counseling solutions, but don't run to and fro. How many know, see them all as from the hand of God? I know that God is watching over you. He's caring for you, that his love for you has not dried up even in a season of silence. And keep that sense of, I'm going to trust you, I'm going to love you, I'm going to praise you through this, God. Keep that fire burning in you so that when you come through this time of testing, you will come through as pure gold. And you won't be saying, I'm going to run for the, run over, try and find this. No, I'm going to, listen to me, I'm going to be still and know that he is God. Amen? Let, let, let's practice that. Let's practice that be still and know that he is God. Let's practice some silence. If it helps you just to, to bow your head in his presence. Here's what's going to happen over these next few moments. I'm going to pray for you. Pray for us together. And then secondly, a song is going to be sung that invites you to be still and know that God's with you. 
And then we're going to, third, sing some instructions to ourselves. We're going to say, turn your eyes upon Jesus, his glory, his grace. Okay, let, 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 let's start by praying. Lord, every one of us in this room can do silence better. However we've done silence in the past, we've learned wisdom today from Job's life that helps us do silence better. Each of us are going to experience seasons of silence. Some of us are hearing the teaching today and we're tucking it away for a future occasion. We'll all go through seasons of silence where we'll say, why, God, is this happening? Where are you, God? And there aren't answers. And it seems that heaven is silent. But, Lord, there are some in this room that are experiencing silence right now. Thank you for the wisdom from the life of Job. May, may their souls grow deeper. May their faith mature. May they sharpen their focus on what really matters. And thank you, Lord, that for every one of us, for every one of us, you know what we're going through. You know the way that we take. You see our hearts. And when we have been tested, <laughs> our lives will be changed and we'll come through golden will come through as pure gold. So Lord, help us to know that even when we're going through a season of silence, you are still with us. Help us in these next few moments to be silent, just to be still and know that you're God. To be still and know that you are with us. Make sure you don't miss a message by subscribing to this podcast. All creative content and production for this podcast is provided by the One Church Creative Team.